Michael McMullen. This is the World Snooker Tour podcast, and this week's guest is a young man who pulled off one of the biggest upsets of not just last season, but any season. It's Aaron Hill. Welcome along, Aaron. Hi, Michael. Cheers for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's the dream of every young player once they start out in the game to play at the Crucible. But, of course, you did it from a very early age because that's the name of the club yeah. where you uh, really you learned your trade, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very established sort of thing in Cork, isn't it, the Crucible, and some very good players there. Yeah. Um, look, I, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't be the player I am today without the Crucible. Spent all my childhood years down there. Um, last couple of years, I have a table at home, so I've been playing most of my snooker there. But, yeah, all my practice, basically, I learnt my bread and butter down in the Crucible. Um, yeah, and I will always have a special place in my heart. Cork has kind of become the centre of the amateur game now, really, hasn't it, in Ireland? It was Dublin for a long time, but it seems to have yeah. shifted to the south now. Yeah, most definitely. Um, the juniors we have in Cork has been dominating the Irish junior scene for the last couple of years. You have um, Ross Bullman there, a uh, young kid named Leon Crowley. You have Noel Landers. He's after getting a bit older now, but he's, uh, he's still playing away and he's still as good as anybody. And you've another couple in as well that's kind of um, trying to get through as well. But yeah, the standard in Cork has been amazing the last couple of years. Now, the thing is, from your point of view, it's very possible none of this would ever have happened had it not been for a setback in what was a promising football career. Yeah, football was my life, um, more or less most of my life, since I was about four years of age till 12 or 13. And um, I trials for Cork City and um, I got to the very last stage and I didn't make it, and I was gutted because I actually played brilliant soccer at the, at the trials. So yeah, I couldn't understand why I wasn't picked at such a young age. Well. Like your your head isn't mature enough to know why you didn't get picked. And um, yeah, I was I was gutted at home. My dad just brought me down for a game of snooker to cheer me up, and I found the love of it from there. I think Cork City would have you now, the way things are going for them. They might have a have a rethink. But you've got the Liverpool tattoo, I noticed, on your leg. I knew you were a Liverpool fan. I didn't know you'd taken it that far. Why did they become your club? Uh, my family, I suppose. Uh, my uncles, they're all big Liverpool supporters, and my dad as well. Yeah, I've been to a few games in the last couple of years. I'm going to try and get to a few games this season as well. And um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, lift the title again. And you were a central midfielder, weren't you? So no surprise that I remember you saying before, Stephen Gerrard yeah. was your idol growing up. Yeah, um, I played everywhere on the pitch really, but midfield was definitely my best position. Uh, I was a bit of um, a fella who stays in the middle and spreads the ball around and takes the odd shot. But, um, yeah, that was definitely my favourite position. Tell me a bit about growing up in Cork generally. It's known as Ireland's second city, but it's actually a lot smaller, more relaxed, less intense, I suppose, than Dublin. I've always thought it'd be a great city to grow up in. Yeah, uh, the real capital. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cork, Cork is, is brilliant. The people there are so friendly. Um, it's, just a, it's just a great buzz, especially when I'm away. The support from back home, especially in Cork, is absolutely amazing. And... Um, they just they give me confidence going away in itself like with the messages and social media and all that so yeah I was really grateful for the support I have back home and as you were growing up it became apparent very quickly that you had huge talent for the game of snooker in almost no time you were playing in and in some cases winning some of the biggest amateur events around now did it occur to you that this was remarkable how quick this was all happening yeah I suppose you could say that um once I started winning one or two, then it was expected from me all the time. Mm-hmm. So that was quite that was quite tough sometimes mentally. But yeah, I, I kind of I kind of um, adapted to the tournaments quite quickly, uh, considering the, considering the age I was. I, I my first tournament and uh, I was fourteen. I got to the final of an Irish ranking event 
under 14s and I went on to win the national title that year under 14s so um, yeah that was a really big scalp kind of wasn't expecting that my yeah. first year and I kind of just built it from there I kept playing the older competitions and I preferred playing the older competitions because I was learning more because I was getting beat more often and every time I got beat I learned something because I got beat by a better player and I always wanted to better myself and playing the senior events and I think the senior events helped me massively um, with my game really sharpened me up and my safety side of it because you're playing practically just as good as pros some of them there you'd, the likes of Michael Judge Rodney Goggins Brendan O'Donoghue you know you had them kind of people that were winning the events all the time and um, they're, they're the people you looked up to have playing the senior events back home and very quickly you were doing well in international amateur events there was one event though that you couldn't go to because you couldn't raise the funds for it but that was a setback that turned to your advantage as well wasn't it because that was what led to you getting the practice room yeah, yeah I, I qualified for the World Under 18 Championships in China uh, I think it was 2017 because I went in 2018 but I think it was the year before I couldn't go um, just my mum and dad couldn't afford to to leave me go but, um, so I was I was a bit disheartened with that but I knew not my mum and dad could do about it so at the time when I was when I was gutted about it my dad promised me to build a snooker room at home and uh, about a year later a year and a half later it was built and I must say it's the best job one of the best jobs I've ever seen and my dad done it all himself and um, yeah it's unbelievable I'm so grateful to have someone like my dad in uh, my snooker life and my mum of course the money they put into that snooker room was amazing over the year or two it was being built so um, yeah it's been a really big help to me especially having a star table at home as well mm. yeah it's a really big help and there aren't many players who actually have a table in their house so when Covid broke out yeah. were some of the other players getting on the phone saying can <laughs> I come down for a game yeah, um, if it wasn't for my table at home during COVID, I'd have had nowhere to play. I'd have been going off my game, I'd say. But uh, yeah, there were the times you realise how grateful you are to have a table in your house. And um, yeah, I was playing almost every night uh, with the lads. Uh, there was nothing else to really. Sleeping routines were gone out the window. We were playing till five, six, seven in the morning, going to sleep at eight or nine, and then getting back, getting up at like six in the evening, and then same thing all over again. But uh, yeah, lock, lockdown was. Uh, it was, it was a good laugh for snooker with the lads. So it all led in then to the start of your rookie season and very early on you find yourself in the unbelievable situation of playing Ronnie O'Sullivan, who had just won the World Championship, of course, live on television. I think a lot of people would probably go into a match like that and think, I'll just take the experience and enjoy it for what it is. But you went in with not just belief that you could win, but optimism that you were going to. Yeah, 100%. Um, every match I go into, I, I think I'm going to win. I believe if you don't have that mentality, you're not going to do much good. Um, yeah, I, as I said in recent interview, interviews, I just felt like I had a free go at him. It was like my first tournament of the season. You know, there's nothing expected from me really. But uh, go out and, and embrace the experience and do the best I can. And, and that's what I've done. And I produced good snooker to beat him. Yeah, and you got off to a great start in the match. So how do you handle being in that situation then, Aaron? Do you have to remind yourself don't think about the situation, don't think about what this means, or did it all just come naturally to you anyway? It kind of came naturally to me, but you, you try to say, you try to play the table and play the balls, but obviously you know it's the best player in the world across from you. But um, yeah, I think I think knowing I was playing Ronnie as well gave me the better chance because it's such, such a great experience. And um, I just tried to remain as calm as I could, and it worked. <coughs> um what gave me confidence as well was the way Ronnie played against me. 
he seemed to respect me in every department of the game and that for him to respect me like that I that gave me nothing but confidence um, you see him in some games there where he goes for the old wild ones and all that but he seemed to give me respect in all departments so yeah I was happy with that and you got your chance then in the final frame and just took it magnificently tell me what sort of things were going through your head at that time or again is it a case of maybe trying to stop anything go through your head and just play the balls yeah um, I was 3-1 up at the interval and it kind of took me by a bit, a bit of surprise when I was sitting down outside having a, having a coffee I looked at the scoreboard and it said 3-1 to me and I kind of got a, a head on my high horse there that time but um yeah, when I went back out is when I felt a bit of pressure and he he came back at me in no time like a train. He won three on the bounce and when I went four three behind is when I remained calm again because I was back being the underdog so I produced some of my best stuff then again. I just said to myself, win this frame, get yourself a decider and anything can happen in a decider. And um, thankfully I got a, a bit of run in the decider by fluking that red. Mm. But um, yeah, if, it's not about the fluke, though. It's uh, about how calm I remained after the fluke and how well I took the balls. Yeah, and so I, think, I was really happy with that. Like, well, I was going to say, I think the shot most people remember isn't the fluke, but it's actually the pot to the middle yeah. where you got down, you got up to compose yourself again, which showed a lot of maturity yeah. and clear thinking. So it was very clear at that moment you knew this was the one. If you got that ball, the path was there to victory. Yeah, I, I, I was um, contemplating whether to take it on or not. But um, as I stood back up, I just said, look, there's no point in playing safe. This is your chance to beat him. You know, If I play safe two seconds later, I might leave a long red and he could pot it and clear up. But um, yeah, I just had to keep myself nice and composed and line up that pink and play it as if it's the, it's the last shot I'm ever going to play. But if you watch it carefully on the camera, as I got up, I wear my nan's rosary beads around me. It was the last, um, It was the last thing she held in her hand before she passed away. And um, luckily, the family decided to give it to me. And I wear them around my neck now all the time. And um, if you look at the camera, clearly, when I get when I get back up off the pink the first time, and just as I'm getting back down, you'll spot the cross coming out of the gap in my shirt. And that, that's no word of a lie. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Like it's, uh, mm. I thought that was a bit of a sign. So yeah, that, that was brilliant to see. I noticed it when I watched the back straight away. It's a pink, it's a pink rosary bead. And um, the cross came out in the gap of the shirt. Uh, it was, that was amazing to see. So it probably means even more to you then, yeah. having looked back at it and seeing that, that you were able to do that and maybe feel that connection to your grandmother as well, that she was perhaps part of your great yeah. moment. Yeah, 100%. I'd say she had a pain in her head uh, all throughout the game and when I was in my seat. But uh, yeah, every single game I play, I'd say she had a pain in her head for me talking to her. But uh, yeah, that, that was absolutely brilliant. Um, when I showed my mother that um, back on the camera, she nearly burst into tears. It was so um, emotional, but yeah, it was it was brilliant to see. Was she around to see much of your snooker playing days? Um, I was I was kind of just starting off. I was an amateur, but I was I was winning national events at the time, and um, yeah, she was always super proud of me, and she was giving me all my pocket money to go down to the club, the Crucible, to practice. But um, yeah, she was really supportive and. No doubt I'm doing her proud now and she's watching. Well, you did everyone proud back home. I remember the reaction. I can't remember anything like that for any snooker match since 1997 yeah. and Ken winning the World Championship. Were even you a bit surprised by just how big it got? Yeah, it was, it was massive, really. Um, I didn't realise it till like, the next day with all my messages coming through, all my followers on social media. I looked at Twitter the next day and I was number two trending on Twitter. 
and you had the likes of like Jorgen Klopp below me and stuff and it was that was, that was brilliant to see um, do you remember what was number one I can't no <laughs> I, just, I just saw my name and um um yeah the next the next morning I got woken by a phone call and I was, it was I got woken by it and I was like what who's this and I answered a, a big sleepy voice I said oh and uh it was BBC <laughs> I couldn't believe it I was like oh can you phone me back in five minutes I was because I had a sleepy voice but yeah it was absolutely brilliant um interview after interview when I got home and the support from my family and friends and everyone around Cork really back home do you know anytime now I'm in town or maybe having a social pint, you know, everyone notices me and comes over to me and that, and it's absolutely brilliant. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can um, do it again. I was going to ask you if there was any downside to all that attention, but it sounds like you don't think there was. It was all positive. Um, yeah, it was 95% of it was positive. Uh, see, when I beat Ronnie in my first event, it's like everyone probably seemed then, like thought like I was going to produce that form all the time and, as I started struggling and losing matches, it kind of wasn't easy, you know, people were expecting a bit much out of me, but yeah, look, I'm after um, getting stronger mentally now, so them things won't bother me now in the future. Yeah, as you say, I mean, that did prove to be the highlight of the season, and you didn't replicate it in the other tournaments, but the fact is that even though you had beaten the world champion, you were still a first season professional finding your way, and yeah. it is very hard to win matches in your first yeah. year. Yeah, it is. Look, um, yeah, I know better now this season, um, the experience from last season was second to none uh, you can't buy it look I've been in a few tough, tough situations and matches last season and I believe if I'm in them situations this season I'll win them but um, yeah last year was just um, a, a mental season really with the pandemic and all that going on travelling on your own and staying on your own it was tough like you know you could lose a match there and you're going back to your hotel room and you're depressed and you're booking flights and you're all, you're on your own. It's it's not it wasn't great, but yeah, hopefully now this season uh, a lot of a lot of positives to take from last season too. You know, it wasn't just beating Ronnie; it was beating Matthew Stevens after that, getting to a last sixteen in my first ranking event. Um, some scalps in there like Fergal O'Brien. You know, I was I was training up in the UK Championships mm-hmm. to Cork Mafflin, and I was beaten. But bit disappointed with that. I was training up in another match. I was beaten. But look, it was all an experience and hopefully it can stand me in good stead for this season. Was it a bit frustrating that your first season, nearly all of it ended up being played in one place? No disrespect to Milton yeah. Keynes. It was perfect for what was needed at the time, but perhaps you would have liked a bit more variety. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all my life, all the hard work has gone into becoming a professional snooker player. You're, you dream of it almost every night. And to come on in first year playing with empty you know, arenas all the time and... Yeah, as you said, no disrespect to Milton Keynes, they were, it was brilliant there, uh, the hospitality was great and the venue was nice, but playing with empty crowds and constantly going back to the same place every time, just it wasn't it wasn't great to be honest, but uh, yeah, that, that just has the fire in the belly now to stay on tour and relive it at its best. Brilliant stuff. Well, <laughs> so Hill has climbed a mountain to land... A huge upset, a huge upset here at the European Masters. Ronnie O'Sullivan, his first match since winning his sixth world title, and he has been beaten by an 18-year-old starting out as a snooker professional. What a night for Aaron Hill. Remember the name. What do you think it'll be like if you play him again, which presumably you will at some stage? Do you think he'll be wary of you, that you might beat him again, like Elliot Slesser did? Or do you think it's going to be more a case of the wounded animal? Yeah, look, each game is different. Um, I just approach it the same way as I did last year. No different than uh, my preparation. 
look, I'll try go out there and play. I I try go out there and play the table as much as I can, and not the opponent, as I said. But um, yeah, I, I'd I'd love to get that opportunity again to play Ronnie or even any other top players. I think it's great being on the big stage, and I love the attention as well. And I I also love being underdog. You know where people write me off, because uh, a lot of people wouldn't have gave me a chance against Ronnie. Like so, to win and improve all them wrong is. Uh, gives me a good boost so yeah I'm looking forward to get them opportunities now again this is where we come to what I call the quick fire round I'm just going to give you a few topics and you say whatever comes into your head so Ken Doherty legend Cork sporting history brilliant uh, there's a few great role models there you've like Soraya Keane and along with other a lot of sports legends as well what it would be like to play at the Crucible the one in Sheffield <laughs> a dream come true I, I dream about it every night. Uh, I watch snooker in the Crucible almost every night, and yeah, that, that's just the dream to walk out to the f- a full house in the Crucible. What it's been like to be young during COVID? Well, I, I dealt with it quite well, uh, but as of course it was still horrific. One thing you might change about the game? Make the pockets bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about this season now, Aaron? As we move on. You're in your second year now, and it's it's a different game now, isn't it? Because now you've got to get the points to keep your cards. So does that change your thinking at all? Uh, it could easily, but I'm just going to try and not think of that as much as I can and just enjoy every tournament. Because when I, when I enjoy the tournaments and enjoy my snooker is where I play my best, I'm going to try and put no pressure on myself for the season, no matter what. But of course, it'd be nice to get off to a nice start to the season to kind of, you know, not leave much to do after Christmas, but... If it has to be done, it has to be done, you know. It'd be nice to get a nice start, though. I know we're still talking about the O'Sullivan match, but a lot of other people are still talking about it as well, any time your name comes up. Are you keen now to show people you can back it up, that you're not just a one-hit wonder, or are you pretty laid back about that sort of thing and not really bothered what people think? I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty laid back, to be honest. I don't care what anybody thinks about me, but um, I believe I've a lot more to offer like this season, you know, and if it don't happen this season, it's going to happen eventually, I know it will. Do you have any idea in your head as to what would constitute a successful season? Is it just being in the 64 and staying on? Yeah, I suppose that's the realistic goal for this season. I know I'm capable of getting a run in any tournament and if not winning an event, I know if it all clicks on the day, I'm a tough opponent for anybody on tour. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be speaking like that, but it's just a, I'm confident in my game this season, so... I've been working hard over the summer, so hopefully it can put, get put into place this season. And there will be a few setbacks along the way, of course. There have been a few already in some of the matches you talked about. But I guess at your stage, you're only 19. You look at guys who are twice your age and more who are still among the top players in the game. Yeah. You've got so much time ahead of you. Yeah, I'm still only a pup in the game. Still a, a lot to learn. It's all a learning process the next couple of years. Um, yeah, I just, just try to do as best as I can now in, the, in the, this season and see where it takes me. If I stay on tour, it'd be unbelievable and you know, keep progressing. Last season, you were primarily spending your time in between tournaments at home back in Cork, but now you're based over here a lot more and you've got to set up in Liverpool. Yeah, I, I, I'm based in Liverpool now when I'm over. Um, I stay with a family in Liverpool and they're just like my second mum and dad now, Phil and Sylvia. Uh, they've, they've been absolutely amazing to me since um, it was since around after Christmas last year. I know them all of my life. Um, my my uncle met, met met Phil at a a football match thirty odd years ago, and then that introduced introduced him to my dad as well. So my dad has been like, so close to him since before I was even born. 
So anytime now I come over, he said to me, you know, you can stay. There's a house there for you to stay in, and he's have to give me a key and all. So yeah, it just it feels like a, it feels like home to me now. Um, they're so good to me, and uh, I'm so grateful for that because if it wasn't for them, as you said, I'd be traveling back and forth from home or you know spending a lot of money with hotels and that. So. Yeah, if it wasn't for them, I'd be completely lost, to be honest. There's a great snooker tradition in Liverpool, of course, most notably John Paris, world champion yeah. 30 years ago. What sort of practice arrangements have you got up there? I practice with um, Alan Taylor almost every day. Um, I can't explain how grateful I am for him as well. You know, When I came over last year, he, he made me feel so welcome in his unit, and he, he's have to give me a key now as well to his unit. So, yeah, he's, he's a top, top man, and yeah, he's a... a top top player as well it's only a matter of time before he shows it too but in practice there the way he plays like you'd be thinking do you know why isn't he winning events or you know but um, yeah I think I think everything happens for a reason and I think his time will come soon as well and we talked there about some of Cork's sporting greats you think of people like Christy Rings Sonny O'Sullivan and we mentioned Roy Keane as well and I know that not far from where you live and even closer in fact to the Crucible Club there's a mural of Roy Keane right on the banks of the River Lee there so what do you think Aaron in 20 years time is there going to be another mural of you beside him there is that the dream yeah I know he was a Man United <laughs> player but you could probably still live with it yeah hopefully that'd be unbelievable to see uh, a, you know a statue or a mural like that of me in my home city yeah I'd be classed to be honest um yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thanks very much for your time today. Great win last season. You really cheered up the nation at a time when I think we really needed to see someone new coming through and do something like that. And we wish you all the best for what's ahead. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers, Aaron. Michael. Thanks very much. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, I'll be joined by Welshman Jack Jones, who'll be talking about whether he's been living up to his potential so far in his career. Uh, no, not at all. No. I, no, I don't feel like I've. I've done anywhere near what um, what I could have or should have, but you're only as good as your results. So, so how good can you ultimately be? Do you think can you be top sixteen tournament winner? Is that where you see yourself? Oh yeah, ultimately? yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean that's how how I feel. I wouldn't be playing playing the game if I didn't if I didn't feel like that. But yeah, I, f- I feel like I'm one or two tournaments, like big tournaments, from maybe breaking through. Because I, I do I do feel really close. Uh, really close to it. So that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.